0: Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach
1: and I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human.
0: Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human.
1: But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture.
0: Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. All right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. We are joined today by Chandler Ride, who's been on the show with us before. He twice. is twice. Twice, that's right. Yeah. It, now three times.
1: Yeah, this is the third time.
0: I think most recently he joined us to talk about Dunkirk and give us a, a review. Oh,
1: even recenter than that, that's not a word. Recenter, but even yes. More recent. <laughs> Stranger Things with his lovely oh, you're right. now wife, Lara. You're right. Yeah, that was a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, so you're sensing a common thread here with Chandler's appearances. He's a filmmaker and he is our go-to guy when we need a film review, or we need to talk about stranger things. And in this case, he's going to talk to us about a film that he recently made and is in the process of editing. And you can't see it yet because it is going to be, uh, he's going to be trying to get it at some film festivals coming up in the, in, I guess the, the later end of this year and early part of next year. Um, but we're going to talk about it today and get you all excited so that when you can see it, you do. But anyway, Chandler, welcome back to Vernacular. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're really glad to have you. So your your movie is called Into the Plains. This is not a feature-length film, so it's not a two-hour thing. It's a bit shorter than that. But tell us about Into the Plains. What's the plot?
2: So uh, Into the Plains, it's about 25 minutes long. Uh, and it follows a husband and wife, primarily the wife, uh, after a really devastating loss. Uh, They lose a child in a car crash and the husband and the wife uh, struggle to understand the ways that the other is grieving. And in that emotional tumult, um, Anna, the wife tries to seek solace in this road trip uh, into the plains. So most of the film is really rooted in her own, uh, in her own head. And we're, Seeing everything from her perspective and and part of the um, arc, and ultimately part of um, Anna's journey and what what she has to learn along the way is just getting out of her head and and seeing things from her husband's perspective.
1: We talk a lot on vernacular about what it means to be human and what it means to live a truly human life. What do you, what could you tell us about how Into the Plains reveals something about that?
2: Well, I I should first say that. I'm not writing from my own experience here. <laughs> and, uh, I, I came to this story about a year ago. Um, I was pulling weeds and I was listening to this podcast. Um, and I don't remember what the name of the episode was. Um, but you guys had a, a couple on and they were talking about this car crash that they had. Um, and I don't remember their names, but they, they were just talking about, um, the experience, and and uh, they had a, a small child in the car, and the, the child was fine. Um, but it just got me thinking, like, what would that be like? Um, and then from there, I just kind of started piecing together um, from various sources, you know, various other other works, um, ideas, and and kind of experiences that um, I, I knew that other people had had, and, and it, it was really just the process of figuring out what's it like to be in that situation what's it like to be in that person's shoes um and so in this case uh what it means to be human as far as this film goes um i think being human means inviting other people inside of your inner life uh, inside of your head in in this case into your grief and so for me it was really an experience of trying to understand a situation from somebody else's head from a different perspective than one that i've had and and it's a different person, you know, than is similar to who I am. You know, uh, the film is primarily about um, a woman and she's um, living out in the mountains and, and, you know, she's had a child and I've never had a child and also I'm a woman. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get outside <laughs> of my experience and, and get into, um, into her head. And uh, the film is about her kind of trying to um, figure out. How to deal with what's in her head and get outside of her head, um, and so being human means means bridging the gap between um, sometimes painfully distant people, um, and ultimately it means uh, giving yourself. In in some sense, I think that we give ourselves to a lot of things, um, but you can only really give yourself um, to you know one thing, or or, or maybe. Um, a few things. And so Anna is struggling to to give herself to her husband. And that's why um, we're stuck in her head, you know, for the whole film. And uh, that's why she kind of isolates herself.
1: I love that. We've definitely talked on the show before about self-giving and about how we um, in our lives need to give of ourselves to the people around us. So that I, I like that theme.
0: A couple of episode, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, we did a podcast episode on living immediately. And we talked about the importance of experiencing reality as it is, rather than reality mediated by something else. And in part of that conversation, we talked about how film is really important, but film just by definition is mediated by the vision, vision of a director or the lens of a camera, et cetera. So how do, how do you balance the two of those things? How do you how do you as a filmmaker make sure that your subject is experiencing reality as they should while also having your own artistic input? Does that make sense? Yeah, no.
2: So thank you for asking this question. I love this question um, because, you know, I've, I've gotten lots and lots of people asking me, okay, so when's, you know, what's the film about? When's it coming out? Or things like that. You know, you have any stories? And, and so uh, I've told those things lots of times, but no one's asked me this kind of a question before. Um, no one's, I guess, thought to, to ask me more about the kind of philosophical side of storytelling. Um, but this is a question that is especially interesting to me, and it's a question that um, has been especially interesting to a lot of artists throughout history. And, and um, really, to answer this, I, I just want to point to two examples from the past that I think do a nice job of kind of summarizing uh, and giving. Some perspective on um, my own kind of take on this question, and those two thinkers are um, Plato and Tolstoy. Um, Plato uh, tends to to be more leaning towards that unmediated um, reality sort of thing, where right get out of the cave. So what was that?
0: Get out of the cave. Yeah,
2: right, right. Um, so you know, Plato's wanting to. Uh, use the the senses, especially vision, vision is especially important for Plato for this purpose, to essentially transcend materiality in an important sense. Um, you know, the material world is changing and falling apart and truth doesn't change and truth doesn't fall apart. So we need to get past the things that are falling apart and changing and, and that's why uh, you have to have this ascent uh, to get beyond that. But on the other hand, you have a pretty sharp contrast to that that comes about, um, at least in in literature, uh, pretty prominently in the 19th century with um, continental realism, or really any kind of branch of realism. But it's especially prominent in Tolstoy. Uh, And Tolstoy, for him, it's it's kind of the opposite. Rather than um, trying to get to truth by transcending um, the material world, uh, Tolstoy wants to dive into the material world in order to get the truth. Like for Tolstoy, the only way to actually get to reality is to go through all the myriad ways that uh, that human beings experience um, life. And so you have uh, a scene of uh, a peasant mowing a bunch of grass, and then you have a scene of a, a very high society wedding, uh, and both of those uh, are. Very different, but both of them are, are very rooted in uh, whether it's kind of societal conventions or whether it's just rooted in a lot of dirt. Um, Tolstoy thinks both of those are really important for getting to uh, getting to some kind of ultimate truth. Are both of those scenes
1: from Anna Karenina? Yeah, they are. Yeah, so I'm reading that. I'm about 600 pages in.
2: Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I can definitely <laughs> see what you're saying. I mean, he gets into all the minutia of just. Whatever right. is going on in everybody's lives.
2: <laughs> yeah. The, the term that I find helpful is uh, exhaustive representation. I'm just going to show yes. you everything. Um, I mean,
1: 900 pages of
2: yeah. everything. <laughs> right, right. So um, those are the two kind of um, very basic kind of uh, polar opposites of each other. Um, I'm kind of caricaturing both of them. Um, this film began much more abstract. It really began as kind of a mood piece. Um, where there weren't a whole lot of details about who these people were, why they're, you know, why Anna is sad and drawn into herself, um, why she's going on this road trip. There's not a whole lot of those sorts of things drawn out. I kind of just thought, okay, let's start with this really depressed woman going on this road trip and see where that goes. Um, and then as I showed that to people, um, I actually found that, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't like it <laughs> um, because nobody could get inside of her head. Um, the, the, the tone in the film uh, was so abstract um, that it was hard for people to actually empathize with Anna. And I had a, an especially important moment was when I showed my script to a writer named Joy Williams. Um, and she had come to um, my, my college um, where I just graduated from. And she offered to, to read some of my work. And so I showed her a few things. And one of those things was this script. Um, and she's won a lot of awards on a, on a very high level, um, for her writing. She's, um, probably one of, one of the best writers in America today. Uh, she does short stories. And so she read this and, and she, um, uh, she said, my main character, Anna, was, was horribly unsympathetic. Uh, and she, she didn't like the script and she was not really interested in, in the story. And that was, you know, a blow because, um, she liked one of my other short stories. And so I was like, wait, I'm, I'm putting all this time and money into this, into this story. And this is the one that she says is bad, you know? Um, and so this, this was a problem. And so I, I actually started adding some of those details. Um, and I started Putting more of that kind of Tolstoy sense into it, and what I'm hoping is that that by what what I found really in, in the kind of creative process is that as I was adding those details, um, the characters became more true to me, um, and I think that um, I know they became more true to my actress, and, and she really lashed on to a lot of those details. So anyway, this is a very roundabout way of, of getting no, I appreciate this, it. This answer, but. Um, essentially, I I mean, I think that um, regardless of whether you have the kind of um, metaphorical abstraction uh, of Plato or or the exhaustive representation of Tolstoy, um, both of those can get to truth. And I think that the matter of uh, of filmmaking is that it's not really um, about unmediated reality um, in in art. I don't think that's what art does. Uh, I think that the mediation is, in in fact, a very important and and very vital part of what makes it art. You know, Um, even the realists, even Tolstoy, who is trying to kind of present this unmediated experience in a sense by giving you everything, by giving you all these details um, and really making you be able to see what exactly everything looks like and what it smells like. Um, He's he's really trying to pull a fast one on
0: you. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And you're actually reminding me of a conversation we had about the crown season one. Um, My favorite episode of that season is one in which Churchill sits for his portrait. And while he's doing that, he has this witty back and forth with the artist. And he, he essentially ends up saying that you can, you can paint something. An artist can paint something that is not a mirror image of the subject. It's, Mediated through the artist's interpretation of reality, but it actually is a closer approximation of reality. True, yeah, it's it's more true than what is actually sitting there. So,
2: yeah, and I think that um, part of it is that um, at the very least, it it helps you to see reality in a different way, and in that sense, it allows you to see reality more truly. Because um, the thing that I've mentioned a lot in this conversation is seeing the world from a different perspective, and that. Is, I think, a way of discovering what is true. Um, Because by understanding, you know, by kind of escaping or getting past your own experience, um, by seeing the world from a different character's perspective, from a different author's perspective, and importantly, through experiencing that vision of reality filtered through the formal aesthetics, which um, helped to heighten rather than. Uh, kind of muddle or confuse um, the truth, uh, then you know that that gives you a different window. It d- gives you a different picture of of what is real. And I mean, to think that we can, as finite individuals, understand everything, you know, without story, you know, with or without being able to get past our own experience. Right. Um, I, think, I think we need, you know, we need those kinds of things that that push us beyond what we. What we already
0: have. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you you sort of answered the question. I was going to ask you what the task of the modern filmmaker is, but I think the preceding the preceding question, your answer to it, you pretty ably answered that. So let me ask you a follow on, which is, do you think it's harder or easier to be a filmmaker in the age of YouTube? I think the the harder on the on the well, let's start with the easier side. On the easier side, it's very accessible, right? I mean, I've uploaded YouTube videos, and I'm not a filmmaker, but it's very easy to do and we're saturated by content. I saw, I forget what the stats are, but I saw stats about how many hours of content are uploaded to YouTube every minute. And it's an absurd, mind-boggling amount. So as far as barriers to entry, very, very low. But on the harder side, I think that that saturation cuts directly against what you're saying the task of the filmmaker is, and that is to make a good art. Because if you're in a saturated world that's filled with a bunch of nonsense, I think the art's going to have a much harder time standing out. So Uh, Where do you, where do you see yourself on, on the sides of that debate? Is it harder or easier to be a filmmaker in the age of YouTube?
2: Well, um, like you said, uh, accessibility, I wouldn't have been able to make this film if I had been born 50 years ago. Um, this whole thing came about because, um, I was able to post things online and I was able to raise some money online. I was able to find my actors online, you know? Yeah. Uh, you're sensing a pattern here. Like the internet allowed me to make this film. Right. Um, and if I didn't have that, then I would have had to have been in, in LA or New York or uh, Austin or somewhere where there's a lot more film stuff happening. Or I would have had to be at film school where there's actors and cameras available. Um, so the fact that I can make this is, is a really a miracle in itself. Um, but uh, a few things happen when you put, lots and lots of content online. Um, The reason why there's lots and lots of content online is because there's lots and lots of people watching content. And because of that, that means that, um, I don't know if I can definitively say uh, more people are watching movies, but I can probably say that I think that uh, more people are watching um, content created by people who are not uh, studios. Um, so more people are seeing more stuff created by you and me. Uh, and what that means is that, um, it allows for the, the, that transmission, you know, from, um, kind of me in the middle of nowhere to you across the country. Uh, but it also, I think, starts to make film grammar a little bit more accessible, um, because we're starting to notice. Um, when a video is is well-made and when it's poorly made. Uh, and as more and more people are making videos, then you're also starting to have more and more people who know what the process of making videos is, what a good video is, and what a bad video is. Um, and so at least on a kind of rudimentary level, I think that there are probably more people um, who have... Uh, you know, they have a high tolerance for, or sorry, they have a, a low tolerance for, for bad content because there's lots and lots of good content. Right. So all you have to do is just click away and find something better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in one sense, that helps to weed out um, the, the chaff. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think what you said about the saturation point is, is definitely true. Um, but that said, movies like the ones that I'm making are actually commercially uh, viable now. Um, so the kind of movie that I made is kind of slow, um, and doesn't, it wouldn't appeal to a mainstream audience if this were like a feature length film. Um, but in today's market, I could potentially still make money off of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that would have been the case maybe 50, 60 years ago. Um, so, I mean, there, there are trade-offs for sure, but, um, the accessibility and kind of where the independent film market is right now, uh these kinds of movies are are able to make money, which means that these kinds of movies are able to get made um, by more and more people. Uh, you don't have to be Martin Scorsese, you know, to, to make a movie like this and be able to make some kind of return on it. It just, it, it takes a lot of work um, and it takes a lot of, you know, some luck and knowing the right people. But, uh, but making money off of these things is also more accessible as well.
1: Well, speaking of making money, how are people going to watch this and when will they get to see it? When is this film going to be released?
2: Well, I, I'm not going to be making money off of this film. Oh,
1: OK. <laughs> <laughs> so no one has to pay to see your film. <laughs> That's good news for our listeners.
2: Right. I don't I don't think I'm, I'm going to put up a paywall. Um, but uh, as far as the release date, um, so for Kickstarter backers and family and friends, uh, it'll be ready in early July. Uh, and then for film festivals, I'll be submitting um, in the next six months. And those the festivals themselves will take place in 2019. And then after the film festivals, or at least after I've premiered it at a few of them, um, maybe around kind of late summer or fall of 2019, it'll be available for general. Uh, the general public.
1: That's exciting. Well, we'll definitely have you back then. In almost,
0: all right, yeah. I guess
1: a little over a year from now to find out all of that process and what happened.
0: Yeah, the uh, the the Chandler ride into the plains publicity tour.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sounds so exciting. <laughs>
0: sounds good.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for your time tonight, Chandler.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Though. Glad
0: to be here.